Cold Stove Podcast. We are back on a lovely, lovely, uh, just uh, oppressively hot Friday in Austin, Texas, NRD. It's the 17th day of 100 plus degrees in June in Austin, Texas. And uh, yeah, to be honest with you, I'm pretty sick of it. And my pool, my pools, both pools of my apartment complex are closed. Oh, that's a bad somebody, one. Somebody broke glass. In one, which means they have to do the whole system for some reason. Yeah, dangerous. It's hot here you? too. It's it's warm here in parts unknown. Um, sure, AC's cooking. We're uh, we're having a good time, but I just want to start off this week different because we're we're cold stove, a hockey podcast. Mm-hmm. But are we a golf podcast? Because I think we're like three for three now in the majors this year. Shouts to Maddie Fitzpatrick getting yeah. the job done on Sunday. That was my pick. Um, Zalatoris, also a pick of mine, played pretty well too. Yeah, um, yeah I think we maybe we're just gonna have to jump into golf. I'm just saying, like between I, I think all the NRD slash Schmerman bets from Cold Stove for all three majors this year have been wins. So if you're listening, which you should be, I know you are. Place them. You win some cash with us. <laughs> Also, no, I, I don't think I've told you this, but uh, our our old Miss Rebels NRD put March 9th. I put a uh, just a little fifty spot at plus eighteen hundred to win the College World Series. Hotty toddy, baby. So hotty toddy, gosh almighty, who the hell are we? Hey, I don't know. I don't think I'm gonna hedge it. I no. think I'll let it ride. Let it ride, baby. Let it ride. Unless they lose game one, and then I might need to. Uh, I might lock in. No, some I think you let it ride. I think you let it ride. We'll see. We'll Don't see. Don't bet what you can't afford to lose, partner. No, 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 no. I, I, hey, I'm in a good spot. So that fifty to win a grand. I might have to lock in some profits. We shall see. But this is a hockey podcast. It is. Let's talk hockey. There's a lot going on in the timeline today. Um, obviously that will be an escape from. So mm-hmm. there's clearly some some problems with this country, and I'll leave it at that. But, 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 but. Let's talk hockey. Um, the coaching carousel continues to spin uh, like a roulette wheel. You know, some things are going to work out. Some things are not. Uh, officially, the balls have landed in Dallas, Philly, Edmonton, Chicago, and Florida. Most recently, Luke Richardson rumored, uh, but I, be- I believe Saravalli to Frank, Chicago. Yep. All uh, Frank on that one. And Paul Maurice in Florida most recently. Comments on either of those two guys, and uh, is Paul Maurice just kind of trading in the uh, the cold winters of Winnipeg for the relatively nicer weather in Florida? Yeah, that's what Maurice is doing now. There, so I didn't realize this, and you know, shame on me, but Maurice hasn't really had a ton of success out of the first round in the playoffs in his coaching career. That being said, and I tweeted this, you know, after the news broke about Paul going to uh, the Florida Panthers. You know, Brunette is not a bad coach. I think he's earned mm-hmm. his keep as an assistant coach, well-respected in that locker room. I think he needs more time before he takes charge of a President's Trophy winning win-now team like the Florida Panthers. And I think you saw that, especially in the second round against Tampa, but also in the first round against Washington. They struggled against a defeated and depleted Washington team without you know Tom Wilson and with Ovechkin, who was huffing wind out there every shift he was gassed and they struggled and they went to six games with them and then they got swept by tampa so i think that there were signs there were you know little cracks in the armor that 
Andrew Burnett might not be ready for the big big time job like that. So is it surprising? Kind of, but not really when you look at it through the scope of, I think they needed somebody with a little bit more veteran respect and leadership behind the bench there. Brunette's got a massive offer to stay in the organization. We'll see where that goes. Yeah, I just think it's so hard, especially on a, a you know a veteran-based team. And not that Florida's like the oldest team in the league by any means, but they do have vets. It's so hard for an assistant coach to step up on that same team. That's why, like, I, I don't think I would ever, if I'm a GM or if I'm an owner, I don't, I don't think I would ever hire an assistant coach that's been with me to be anything but an interim. I know it obviously happens. There are success stories like Don Granato, for example, assistant before being the head coach. But Craig he Rube. was, yeah, and, and Don Granato was was more of a development coach, kind of father figure type of coach versus the younger players coach who's going out and having, you know, Chateaubriand and Camus with the boys at a, at a dinner, talking, telling stories, right? Like, it's, it's hard for the, the players coach guy to become the hard ass if you're in that same organization. Very, very difficult. That's why a lot of the times it's fun interim because it's like, oh, the boys are having fun. Usually if there's an interim head coach, um, there's a lot less pressure because the team has not been performing. So in it was just obviously a very weird case with Florida where Quenville has to, you know, Quenville leaves and they're a playoff team. Yeah. Regular season you can let it ride, but when they're when the stores reset and records are zero zero, the coaching is involved and hard assery is involved, right? So it's very difficult for an assistant to step up in that that way. And to that point about letting the regular season ride out, like if this Quenville situation, if everything kind of went down in the offseason prior to this year, Florida would not have just promoted Brunette. They would have right. underwent a coaching search just like they did now. So to say that Brunette got shafted, I don't think it's fair to, you know, Zito in that front office there in Florida. I think they did their due diligence. They interviewed, you know, Brunette just like they would any other candidate. And they're a team that can repeat their success this year. I really do think so. You don't score that many goals um, in the regular season. And then have that much of a fall off. They have the offense there. Jonathan Huberdeau had a career season. Hopefully he builds off of that. Alexander Barkov is great. They have guys in that system in, in Florida. They're going to come up. A couple of Finnish prospects. They got Lundell. They have players there. I think they can repeat the success. Who Jury's still out on what's going to go on with Paul Maurice there. Like I said, wasn't really aware of the fact that he struggled that much out of the first round in his coaching career. But he was well respected in Winnipeg. He brings a different perspective to that locker room. There you go. How about uh, in Chicago, Luke Richardson, a perennial head, or excuse me, assistant coach, getting a shot uh, in the big chair in Chicago. No pressure, right? Uh, well, <laughs> ironic as it is, there might not be much pressure with Connor Bedard sitting there and Matt Vaymichkov and a couple other guys in the draft next year, especially. So you think Chicago's going to be that bad? I do. I think Chicago, you know, barring any Alex at Patrick Kane trade that goes down in the next you know, three months. Um, Chicago is committed to rebuilding this thing from the from the ground up. They went for it last year. I know it's a little counterintuitive after giving all that money to Seth Jones, trading for Tyler Johnson, bringing in Marc-Andre Fleury, but, you know, they were quick fixes under a different general manager in Scotty Bowman in a different front office. Now they have, um, now they have Kyle Davidson there running the show. Luke Richardson's behind the bench, a guy that was well-respected in Montreal. Um, in that coaching staff, that's where he was previously. 
and they're going to get a chance to rebuild this thing. I don't have any expectations for the Chicago Blackhawks this year. As funny as it says, no, as it sounds, no pressure. I really don't think there is. I think they're totally content with seeing where this season takes them and sitting pretty in the lottery next year. No doubt. And that's, that's a rebuild like immediately, by the way. They, it's not like they have to wait for the Bedard summer to, to tear the thing down to the studs. They had to resign Kirby Doc, who's an RFA. They had to resign Dominic Kubalik, who's an RFA, a 26 year old RFA. So, uh, same with Dylan Strom, 25 year old RFA. Caleb Jones, 25 year old RFA. Like, both goalies are, are UFAs. So, there's going to be a lot of things that happen this summer that they sort of can build on going forward. And Sarah Valley and his, his trade big board on Daily Faceoff just, just listed Alex Dabrinkit as, as number one yeah. at this point in terms of trade targets. So, Interesting offseason coming up in Chicago. Obviously, they have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves one more year, both at 10-5 before they are both UFAs. Um, people think that Patrick Kane seems to be headed for Buffalo. I, I'm less warm on the idea as some people, but I, I certainly get the, uh, connection, the allure. Yeah. yeah, the connection. Um, let's go on to the – well, let me first quickly just mention congrats to Jay Woodcroft. He has had the interim tag removed from Edmonton, or excuse me, from himself in Edmonton, where he's now the head coach. Another assistant in the same organization. We'll see. But he's got a lot of experience doing uh, the Condors there and, and, and doing – he's been with Edmonton for a long time. Older guy, never been like the player's buddy-buddy coach, just a good coach. So mm -hmm. I think that's that's probably a better situation than a younger player's coach that gets forced in like a brunette, for yeah. example. Um, NRD, anything on the three vacancies still? And that's Boston, Detroit, and Winnipeg. You know, status quo in all three locations. I think Winnipeg's an interesting case with Barry Trotz. And, you know, I've had battles with Winnipeg fans on Twitter. I'm not going to make fun of you this time. Um, <laughs> about Barry Trotz and the whole, you know, they went after him early in this coaching search. As I reported then, he turned them down and said that he wanted to keep all of his options open, including management. Um, then, you know, what happens in Philly, turns down the seven mil from the Flyers. He buys a house in Nashville. Nashville's got new ownership. And now it seems that he, his camp is circled back to winning Winnipeg, um, according to, you know, Murat Atez of The Athletic and a couple other reporters there of the Winnipeg, you know, free press and whatnot, guys who are much more plugged into the Daily Beat of the Jets than I am. And it seems that he had circled back with them, but it is still not done yet. And that is circling back talks were, you know, five, six, seven days ago. So Interesting. it's still, I'm still in the camp of Barry Trotz not coaching this year in the mm -hmm. National Hockey League. He's going to be in the front office in Winnipeg, uh, in Nashville, excuse me. We'll see. And I could be wrong. And I'm well aware of that. And I'm saying that and I'm recognizing it. But I still feel like with how hot Winnipeg was after Barry Trotz in the beginning of this cycle, um, he would be coaching the Winnipeg Jets right now if he really wanted to coach the Winnipeg Jets. Maybe this is all a ruse. Maybe he's going to hold out for $8 million from the Jets. I don't know. But I do feel like if he were to want to coach there, he would have been by now. Because it's not like Winnipeg was like, yeah, Barry, we'll call you in a few days. Let's see. What like They wanted this guy, right? They could have had him day one if they really wanted him. Um, and he's taking his time. So we'll see there. Detroit. Status quo there as well. I still think they're waiting for, you know, Tampa Bay to lose tonight um, to make that decision. And then Boston, you got David Quinn, you got Jay Leach, Mark Safard, all, all guys we mentioned. We mentioned with Pete Blackburn last week on the show. Yep, same same kind of thing. I also heard, I think they're also waiting for the Stanley Cup to end. 
Okay. No, no, no smoke as far as names goes, but that's that's sort of like a, yeah, we're gonna wait and see. Yeah. Um, just to let dust settle more mm-hmm. than anything. Um, they, they, they're not they're they're not hammering anybody like a Barry Trotz or somebody that get in the door right now and don't let them leave. That's that's sort of we're gonna make a decision that's right for the organization. Um, you mentioned Game Five quick. Let's go into it because we're you know we'll leave the X's and O's to other guys. But I did want to ask you about Game Four. A weird press conference mm-hmm. after the game from John Cooper, the coach of the Lightning. And I was kind of like, man, what? I thought the goal was okay. Like, there was no – was it goalie interference? Was it this? Come to find out they were they were pissed about a, a too-many-men non-call. I've watched the clips. I've watched it back. Too-many-men is such a gray area. I was actually called for a too-many-men penalty in fucking men's league, NRD, where oh, I real. jumped on and Randy's coming off the ice and – I was probably 12 feet, and I, you know, jump into the play, and the ref blows. Was like, what? Are you serious? You just called a men's league too many men that like had no effect on the run of play. Are you serious? So, uh, wh- where do you stand on the too many men call or you non call? It it is a gray area. It's extremely subjective. And to John Cooper, I'll just say this: they got caught with seven guys on the ice in a game-winning goal against the New York Islanders last year in the Eastern Conference Final, and they got caught with seven guys on the ice. On the game-winning goal in Game 4, they just were on the defensive side, so they're not going to get called for that. They were obviously on the long change because, you know, the game was in overtime, so it's the fourth period. You got the long switch, and their defenseman got caught back. So they technically had seven players with skates on the ice. I like, yeah, I like, I was going to say, I like how you give the goalies more, uh, you give them, they're more of a person. No, no, no. So I'm not counting the goalies in that. Oh, they had both, seven. Both their defensemen on the way, or both, I'm sorry, their wingers, because they were going back into the defensive mm-hmm. zone. Both their wingers who were forechecking after they out, after, um, I forgot who gave the outlet pass up to Kadri, up the wall there. Those two wingers that were forechecking for Tampa got caught on a long switch. Obviously, you know, the linesman let it go. It's probably maybe a good six or seven feet. But, you know, by definition of the rule, they also mm-hmm. were caught with their pants down as well. So it had, I'm not going to say it had no effect because, Kadri came on for Nathan McKinnon, the guy who was at the bench. Um, they definitely got away with a longer change, but wasn't like Nachushkin the- was actually closer. If Nachushkin came off and would have jumped on, it would have been fine. And I think that's what Kadri thought was happening. Exactly, and he said that in the post game. I think yeah. that to me, it's it's a nothing burger. It doesn't really make a difference in my eyes. Mm-hmm. It's not like the puck was along that side of the wall. If it was, right. maybe we have a different story there. Maybe a Tampa defenseman gets lost and doesn't realize who he's got to get the puck from, who he's on. Um, but, you know, Cooper being a very litigious guy and a lawyer in his own right by trade, I could see his frustration and it's not going to make a difference because the Colorado Avalanche are going to win Stanley Cup tonight. Yeah, well, that's but you could argue that it does make the because that was that's the series right there is 2-2 versus 3-1. And now a hurt Braden point, who's out until at least game six, according to Cooper. Sorelli's banged up, questionable for tonight. Chernash's beat up, questionable for tonight. They're getting uh, uh, Burakovsky back in Colorado. Like, all signs are pointing to a uh, a 5 nothing blowout tonight. But it's the Stanley Cup finals, and crazier things have happened. And Vasilevsky still has not won a game. No, like, still has not stole a game, right? So it, does that happen tonight? Sure, certainly, could. could could absolutely happen. But um, I, in my, in my opinion, I I don't think you call that too many men. Can't. I don't think you call that too many men. And if they had called it, sound like Tucker Carlson there. If they had called it, um, 
I don't, I don't think you could have reversed it. Right? Like, you know, if we're doing the NFL, like, penalty, taking a look at what is a catch, what's not a catch, what's yeah. a penalty, what's not a penalty, the evidence was there. You couldn't have reversed it. Well, yeah. But I, I think you're correct in not calling it in the run of play. You have to let the play go, and then, you if know. If Kadri gets off the bench and skating up the ice with a puck, and Nachushkin bailed out of his change, yeah, that's obvious. This was just, they got caught in a long change. Exactly. I don't think, yeah. you know, the only thing that scares me, I hope that this doesn't become one of the other, one of the new things you can challenge for in replay review. I think that oh, we need. so annoying. Yeah. I, you know, the offsides that got taken away in what, game three it was? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and offsides in general. I'm not saying it's not a great job by John Cooper and staff to challenge that play. Because it is, by definition. But. I think we need to institute some sort of statute of limitations on offsides and zone entries. Because if you enter the zone with the puck and then have, you know, two plus minutes of zone time without with minimal effect from that entry, right? Like, yeah. to me, it's there's got to be a shot clock in play where the offsides directly affects the outcome of the play, and that's a goal. Mm-hmm. You can't have two and a half minutes. Like, say you're breaking into the zone on a power play. You control all two minutes in the offensive zone on the power play, but your initial zone entry is off. To me, that's a problem. I don't think that should be allowed. So I'm scared of this becoming a thing now where we can just challenge everything on the ice, um, like too many men or whatnot. It's all it's all coming, NRD. Robo, robo lines. Robo footballs, robo strike zones. It's all coming. It's ruining the game, man. No. It's ruining the game. Uh, let's do one more thing on news and notes before we get into the offseason stuff that you know we are best at. Uh, Dale Talent. Back from the uh, the Florida Panthers graveyard to join the Canucks as a senior advisor in the front office. Um, speaking of the Canucks, one thing on JT Miller, they are far apart on anything. And two, Kuzmenko, the KHL superstar, has ended up with Vancouver. And then the other uh, two news and notes in the front office roles, Megan Hunter present, pro, excuse me, promoted in the Blackhawks front office to assistant GM. And San Jose is still looking for a GM. Kevin Wheat's ESPN zone has sort of been in the ballpark on that. Nothing new to report there, I believe. Correct, Correct. me if I'm wrong. No, you are spot okay. on. Um, anything on Kuzmenko and JT Miller before we go? Kuzmenko's an interesting case. He was down to Phil, uh, he was down to Edmonton and Vancouver. The allure of playing with Elias Patterson or Connor McDavid was big for him, and he went with Vancouver. And I think he's going to do really well in Vancouver. He's one of the um, the rare Russian signings, unlike. Uh, Shipachov or Shipacheyov or whoever mm-hmm. it was in Vegas who kind of fizzled out very quickly, or Nikita Gusev. I have a ton of hope for uh, for Kuzmenko. Interesting. I think he'd be a player in that. In you know the free agency, sort of the wooing of the recruiting of him. Do you think that they had to basically say, "Don't worry about J.T. Miller" or "Don't worry about Brock Besser" or "Don't worry about so and so" because they're going to be gone, type of thing. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe a little bit more with JT Miller than Brock Besser because that's still up in the air at this point. He's still an RFA, if I'm not mistaken. But, um, you know, it shouldn't matter because the more talent that you could put in that top six and supplement a guy like Kuzmenko with, I think would appeal to him. And I think that that was what his appeal to him was in this whole sweepstakes, if you will, between Edmonton and Vancouver, the allure of playing with top talent, you know, because Edmonton's got a lot of top six talent as well. Including a, Vander, a including a Vander Kane who might be a San Jose Shark while he's an Edmonton Oiler. Still not really sure what goes on with that. I just, gosh, watching Edmonton was so fun to watch. Like, McLeod is a guy that, Cody McLeod, like, he 
Give me on the, the Brett Merriman team because he skates like Connor McDavid. You know, not like exactly, but you know what I mean. Like he's he has that power, that stride, that crossover like mentality. He's on the Brett Merriman. We're gonna we're gonna uh Brett and I have been talking about this off off recording. We're gonna post the Brett Merriman All Star roster very soon across the Cold Stove Pod socials so you can tell Brett why he built a great team of fourth line grinders. There you go. By the way, uh breaking news from Dregs NRD. Oh. Uh speaking of Teams north of the border. Barry Trotz has decided to not immediately jump back into coaching. Trotz informed the Winnipeg Jets of his decision today and intends to continue on uh, focusing on family. Yeah, see? So, proves to you um, we record these live and in the moment. That's what I just said not even 30 seconds ago. Basically, Trotz said, uh, doing personally stuff, deeply appreciative of Winnipeg's owner, uh, Mark Chipman. Shovel day off, et cetera, in their commitment to getting him there. Jets, uh, basically a very complimentary um, complimentary statement to the Jets. And uh, they'll move forward immediately with their with their coaching search. So here we go. Yeah. Barry Trotz, taking a year off to uh, hang in Nashville, apparently. Um, Montgomery was their second guy there. Jim that, Montgomery? That they were talking to. We'll see where that goes. Interesting. Pagnata uh, quote tweeting said, maybe Travis Green gets a look here too. Yeah, I wouldn't, you know, Pagnata's clued in um, to the Vancouver guys. So. Keep, keep an eye. Keep an eye. All right, NRD, let's talk Flyers, shall we? Philadelphia, um, Joel Farabee kind of coming out of nowhere with a disc replacement of his own. That list now includes Joel Farabee, Tyler Johnson, and Jack Eichel. Um are we concerned about this? The timetable puts him a little after the opener of the regular season to come back. Uh, uh, does this mean Philly is looking around for forward help? You know, this free agency is going to be really telling um, what the Philadelphia Flyers do, obviously, NRD. But um, good friend of the show, Anthony Sanfilippo and San Philly said that uh, mid-November is when he'd expect him to be back on the ice playing in games is mid-November. He could be on the ice sooner than that. We saw that with Jack Eichel, but it might take some time to get up to game speed. I believe, don't correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's sort of a different location than the the neck situation yep. as far as the as far as the surgery went. It's in the cervical sort of the, more area. Of a, more of a back, yeah. Cervical spine, exactly. yep. So we'll see what goes on with him. But it's telling in the sense that, you know, Johnny Gaudreau is going to get a lot of money, whether it's from Calgary, whether it's from Philly. Might be New Jersey, and if that was next on the docket, I'm sorry because we can jump right into that now. But no, New Jersey and Philly it's separated by about an hour and a half. Uh, we can talk to them both at the same time. Yeah, I think you know, I would not be surprised to see Johnny Gaudreau end up in New Jersey over Philadelphia. Just from what I, I'm getting the so those are remember how this podcast came to be last year free agency. We talked about Dougie Hamilton, New Jersey Devils. Me, you, and the crew. We sat on. Trey Melt Live or Free Agency Live. And we said that New Jersey is going to pay for Dougie Hamilton. And then sure enough, you know, six hours later, they did. Mm -hmm. I'm getting those same smoke signals that New Jersey is ready to spend again this year. And Johnny Gaudreau would be the common fit there. He could play on the wing of Jack I, uh, Jack Hughes. I'm sorry. They have Jesper Bratt, who I think that this, because they don't have any traction yet in talks and they're still off base a little bit between the uh, Brock Camp and the New Jersey Devils. I wouldn't be surprised to see his name thrown around a ton at the draft. And I wouldn't be surprised to hear it from the New Jersey side of things. Like New Jersey seeing what's out there for yes for Brock, clear up a little bit more money, see how much more they could spend. Bring him to Buffalo yesterday. 
Wouldn't be a bad perfect, fit. perfect fit. Um, on that same note, rumors that because like the because of Gaudreau and and they kind of want to move on from Blackwood and and they have the second overall pick. Uh, that second overall pick I've heard is very much in play. Correct. Correct. Very as much far in play. as trades goes, because they're. On paper, they've been doing the rebuild thing for three or four years now. This should start to be the turnover moment where, especially with a coach like Lindy Ruff, I mean, this this is the moment where it's like, okay, New Jersey's got to take a step. And on paper, they should. But also, in the offseason, you hear them talking about, well, Zaka is available, and Brat's available, and Blackwood's available. So is it like kind of, I'm going to use this analogy, it's sort of like trimming the fat or, or trimming the trees and, and getting it just just right for next year or what is like what is going through the head of uh tom fitzgerald at this point well he's got an opportunity i think that you know as we said the the comments that jack hughes made about lindy ruff probably saved lindy ruff for another few months there's goaltenders also in play for the new jersey devils i think billy huso is a great shout i think the new jersey devils are going to be keen on the connor hellebuck situation in winnipeg now i heard uh uh primo as well in montreal Katie primo in montreal is a good shout but I wonder if New Jersey just says, here, we have an opportunity. We have the assets to go for a great goaltender, and that might be Connor Hellebuck. Because we know John Gibson's not necessarily out of Anaheim right now. He's like in and out. Um, but we'll see what happens with Hellebuck, because we know he might not be around for the long haul either if Winnipeg decides to rebuild that. I think he makes a lot of sense in New Jersey. Man, such an – and you th- we, we talked about all these potential moves. Is the draft the first pressure point – of this offseason where things are going to start, the, the wheels are going to start to turn? Or or do you see offer sheets with RFAs being more of a first step in this offseason kind of wheels turning I, I, m- momentum? You know, like, I, I try to think of what we talked about. Okay, where's Zacher going? Where's Debrinket going? How about Fiala? When in this offseason are teams going to start to say, Okay, like here we go. Or is it gonna be like uh, you ever you ever watch the the bike racing where they're going around in the loop and they're very slow, very very yep. slow, and then somebody makes a move, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it's just floodgates. Yeah. yeah. So I guess my question is, when do the floodgates open this year? You know, usually it doesn't happen during the the playoffs because the GMs have this weird respect thing. They're allowed to make trades, but they don't want to steal the thunder from the Stanley Cup, so That's, they they yep, won't do it fair. now. Um, we have the draft coming up. Later on, July 7th, July 7th and 8th, and 8th from uh, La Provence de Montréal, where the Canadians have the first overall pick. And I think it starts mm-hmm. with them. I mean, I do believe um, Kent Hughes when he says that that decision hasn't been officially made yet. I do think Shane Wright's the better player, but I'm a, I'm a big fan of the rest of the board as well in the top five. I think New Jersey can get a real player there at number two. But it, the fun will start with New Jersey too, especially if they're looking to move that pick. I mean, you have to bring it there. You have the Flyers, who we, you know, Flyers are really interested in Alex Dabrinkit. They have the fifth overall pick. They have guys like Bobby Brink, you know, that may be of interest to a rebuilding Chicago club. If the Flyers say, we'll give you five and Bobby Brink or something like that, does that get the party rolling? That's in the top five of the draft. So we talk every year about the draft being this big, um, everything's going to happen to the draft, right? You're going to see GMs running up their central registry. Some years it happens. Most years it doesn't. But it, there's a lot of truth to the, the discussions that happen at the deadline, the discussions that are going on now. 
do start to really kick off at the draft when teams have to make decisions. And I don't think there's a bigger decision right now than what New Jersey does at number two. Speaking of, guy, uh, of a guy who's tossed around at the deadline heavily, that's Riley Smith in Vegas who has now re-signed. So take Riley Smith's name off of every trade board on the planet. Um, but a guy who might have his name put on the trade board is Pierre-Luc Dubois that we talked about a couple days ago, maybe a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's reportedly told the, de- the Jets uh, that no matter what, he will test free agency in the summer of 2024. Now they have his rights for two more years. Does that mean uh, more or less, hey, trade me uh, when you can because I'm not going to be here for another three years? I don't know if it's that as much as he's earned that right to test the free agent market as a UFA because he's been an RFA and he's still currently an RFA. Um, I Winnipeg is such a fickle situation, especially now. I mean that that it's official, right? We had alluded for weeks now in the show that Barry Trotz wouldn't be coaching there, but now it's official. We'll see where the players react. I mean, you got a guy in Mark Scheifele who's got another year left or another year or two left on his contract who doesn't want to stick around for a rebuild, perhaps. Pierre-Luc Dubois is way too young to stick around for a rebuild. He's right hitting his prime. Um, Connor Halbuck. A lot of, you know, Blake Wheeler was just added to Frank Saravalli's top three, uh, top 30 trade oh, yeah. target boards. He's up and, there. And like top five. Yeah, he's in the top five. I think he was number three on Frank's board. So, like, there's a lot of dominoes to now fall in Winnipeg. And to the, your point of your last question, like, doesn't surprise me that PLD is like, I want to test free agency. And it doesn't necessarily mean he wants out today. I think that it's still a wait and see in terms of what the players feel about that situation, you know, in the next year or two. But he's earned that right to test, and I don't doubt that he would because he can get paid on the open market. Well, another guy who's going to get paid is Philip Forsberg in Nashville. And um, basically, David Poyle has come out and said, he, we have a, an eight-year offer on the table for Philip Forsberg. I think he wants to be here. Um, I think Philip Forsberg has said as much, basically saying, I'd love to be here. The business side is the business side. I don't really, I'm not going to concern myself with that at this point. Is this deal going to happen in your opinion? Or is Nashville kind of another team that's like, well, what are we going to do moving forward if this iteration of the Predators did not win a Stanley Cup? I don't know how they the, pay The him. Pecco Rene's uh, Predators, if you will. No, Philip Forsberg's not a Nashville Predator next year. I don't think so either. Yeah. I don't think so either. I think they're 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 going to give him an offer. It's probably going to be fair, but he knows that I, I can get more money elsewhere. Some teams going to overpay, and if you're the if you're the uh, Carolina Hurricanes, who we had mentioned as a natural fit, you know, going back to when they were eliminated in the playoffs, and we, we talked about them looking for scoring. You know, if you let go of any Trocheck and Nino Niederreiter, you have a little bit more money to play with. Mm-hmm. I believe it was was it LeBron who said that Martin Hatches. Is getting some looks on the trade talks. It's another contract Ooh, you don't have to spend. If he if he is, I I like Natchez. I do too. I think that that may be just like a, a you know I like the guy. Production aside, but I'd take Philip Forsberg over any of those three guys, if if not any combination of two of the three, because they need scoring. They're always going to need scoring in Carolina. They're built. They're built to have a really deep, effective team in the regular season, but there's no guy. To turn to, and Ajo has not turned into that. If we need a goal, the whole bench is looking at Ajo like, you're the guy. It's kind of like, well, 
are you going to store? Are you going to store? Are you going to store? Um, so maybe that maybe that's a fit, and maybe that gives Forsberg the opportunity to be the guy. Not that he wasn't necessarily the guy in Nashville, but maybe that's the platform he needs. Like, okay, you're getting paid like the guy. Go be the guy. And they have some flexibility, especially if they don't bring back the two that I mentioned, plus Tony D'Angelo. They're going to have a little bit of flexibility to work with. So I'm interested to see if that fit comes to fruition. And if not, you know, we'll see if the, the, the Johnny Gaudreau loser whether that be Calgary, whether that be New Jersey, Philadelphia, gets involved in Philip Forsberg, who might be a little cheaper than Johnny Gaudreau. Sure. Not a bad uh, not a bad backup option, for sure. Um, a guy who is uh, reportedly back on a one-year deal that I would assume is cheaper than his current contract is Patrice Bergeron in Boston. That's Joe McDonald putting that out there. Um is that sort of just a thanks for everything? Here's a one-year deal. We don't want to necessarily send everybody uh, home from camp just yet in Boston. Yeah, it's more or less what that is. There you go. Um, one thing I did I did want to uh, talk about is the Buffalo Sabres NRD. Darren Dreger went on the Instigators today and kind of basically laid out the here's some plans moving forward. It's It's – Talking to Kevin Adams about this, we're talking about it. But I can boil it down to um, they're looking at top six forwards, bottom six forwards, defensemen, and goaltending. Did I miss anything there, NRD? Looking for a mascot, looking for a team, <laughs> looking for a new home, new ownership, perhaps. Um. Oh, you know, you never know. But basically, more or less, is is they're in the market for everybody. And I think they need to be. We, uh, we've talked about Victor Olofsson. I think they like him. I think they like hearing offers for him. We've talked about Casey Middlestad. Uh, same thing. I think they like him. I think they like hearing offers for them. They need a starting goaltender. John Gibson has been thrown around because of the contract situation. They can kind of afford to eat some money. Terry Pagula is not a fan of that pro- proposition because he doesn't want to pay a guy like that for a long time that's not going to be effective for a long time. And the wheel spins madly on in Buffalo. Continuously spins in Buffalo. Their defense, they might have the youngest defense core of all time. If maybe like a David Juracek drops to them at nine, don't think that's going to happen. But if it does, Juracek, Power, Darlene, um, Yoki Haru, Fitzgerald, they're, they're going to have no veteran defensive blue line presidents. And, and that, I think, is something they're trying to remedy this offseason. PK they're not going to overpay for a guy. No, but you like... That's been a popular name in that situation. I just don't. I don't think it. I just, well, that's that's my opinion. Now, my journalistic, analytical brain. I haven't heard that at all from anybody besides Twitter. So, does it make sense? Sure, for a year or two at a, at a discounted contract. Do I see it happening? Not right now, based on what I've heard inside the walls. But outs, you know, Twitter seems to love it. So, if everything, uh, if Twitter was the judicial, you know, end all be all for everything, I think we'd be in a lot of trouble across. Not that we're not that we're not. Fuck it. Not that we're not. Regardless, but um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't see it right now. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And and we have a, a big time veteran personality presence in the locker room. Yeah, which, which which is not a bad thing to have. I still like. I think PK is a great guy. So, you know. What he can do on the ice is not necessarily equivalent to how you know important he is in the community. What he did with the Children's Hospital in Montreal and what he's done in Nashville, New Jersey. So, 
doesn't hurt to have that type of guy in your organization. No doubt at all. More uh, more on the offseason stuff with like, who should this team go for? And hypothetical trades, et cetera. We'll, we'll do some of that as the offseason uh, kind of gets into full swing here. Before we jump out of here, this quick uh, quick little cold stove, let's uh, let's do awards and RD. We're going to... Not, not necessarily debate, but we'll mention them. Hart goes to Austin Matthews, Norris to Kale McCarr, Ted Lindsay to Austin Matthews, Calder to Mo Sider, and the Vesna to Igor Shesterkin. Do you have a problem with any of those? I have a problem with the Hart Trophy. Interesting. I do. How so? I do. And, you know, I want to uh, see it's been a fun episode because I'm having some fun with the Winnipeg fans as we're recording this right now <laughs> on Twitter. Um, there you go. But one. Uh, I want to go grab this tweet. So this is great radio. This uh, this individual that tweeted me that night, Wallstrom Stan, Oliver Wallstrom Stan on Twitter, said, really makes me wonder if that anyone decided to actually put up 90 plus points in the 2015 season, Price wouldn't have won the Hart Trophy that year. Igor had a better season and Price than Price did in 2015 and only got third in the voting. And I agree. I think that there's inherent bias against goaltending for the Hart Trophy. I think if I think they only want to vote for goaltenders if they have to. You know, Igor Shesterkin put up probably one of I think in the top seven of best statistical seasons for a goaltender of all time. You know, and it beat out the season in 2015 by Carey Price, and it was close to what Dominic Hasek did in '98 when he won the Hart Trophy. So, I just. It's nothing to take away with from Austin Matthews. It, it isn't. 60 goal scores, nothing to be ashamed about. So I don't want to say that they got it wrong, per se. They didn't. He deserves it. Um, but for the people that had McDavid higher on the ballot than, than Igor Shesterkin after the year that Shesterkin had, I mean, I always interpreted the trophy to be the most valuable player to his team. It, and if you take Austin Matthews off of that Leafs club, do they still make the playoffs? I think so. I think they have a ton of talent in the top six. I, I think the Rangers are a lottery team without Igor Shesterkin. And, and to me, that's the definition of the, the Hart Trophy right there. Right. And it, it comes down to a lot of these award definitions. Because most valuable player is different than the MOS, most outstanding player. Which is sort of how much are you elevated above another player, just talent, ability, production, etc. wise. Because the most outstanding player, you can argue is Austin Matthews. You can always argue for Connor McDavid. It's... It's like the, well, Barry Bonds could have won the Major League MVP every year for 10 years. But there's definitely bias in like doing that every year. Yeah. And it, Does, should he win an, what he's two points a game uh, last season in a, in a COVID short? Shorted season? Like, of course. That's ridiculous. But you're absolutely right on Shisterkin. You're, you're, you're you know, correct on Matthews. It's most valuable player means something different. And then the Ted Lindsay, which is voted on by the Players Association instead of the the hockey writers, you know, same kind of thing. So my question now, and uh, this kind of gets into the Calder discussion, is what awards are missing or should be adjusted? I'll go first. There needs to be an offensive defenseman award and a defensive defenseman award. I think you put it uh, as much on Twitter. You need the Bobby Orr and you need the Nick Lidstrom trophy. Which I also don't oppose the, uh, the Larry Robinson trophy, as some, somebody tweeted me. There you go. And then I'll say my last is the breakout player of the year award, a la Michael Bunting, versus 
the Calder being restricted to either age or professional service, right? Where it's, you can't have more than, what you know, 60 or 80 or 100 games played in a professional capacity, whether that's AHL, NHL. I guess the SHL gets a little dicey in that, but anything, like any men's league hockey, or you just say you can't be older than 22 or 23, whatever it might be. Do you agree, or do you have any fixes of your own? NRG? No, I agree with that. I think it'd be a good shout. And, you know, similar to the Norris, there's you can make a case for a lot of guys, right? You can make a case for your Roman Yossi as a freakish year, puts up 92 points for a defenseman or 93 points or whatnot. But you could say Cal McCarr is a great offensive defenseman, but he's also got the defensive thing down pat. Same with Charlie McAvoy. You finished fourth or fifth, I believe, in the Norris voting. Continuing mm-hmm. to grow his game on the offensive side, but one of the best shutdown defensemen in the National Hockey League, you know. So does he not get recognized year after year because he doesn't put up 92 points in a season? And that's not a slight to Yossi. It's pretty impressive. But same yeah. thing for the Calder. you got a guy like Mo Sider who comes into this league and, and proves everyone wrong, myself included, for Stevie Y making that pick. And is just a perennial all-pro, has all-world all world potential, is how I worded it on Twitter. He deserves the top rookie in the National Hockey League to call the trophy. Like you said, a guy like Michael Bunting, who gets stuck on the line with Austin Matthews for half the year, and Mitch Marner, and puts up, you know, 60, 70 points, also hasn't had a lot of service in the league, deserves some recognition. I think there's I think there's room for both. Breakout player. Yep. Uh, Victor Olison was, would, would have been a good one. Um, you know, you shoot, uh, Shesterkin, you like, could win breakout and Vesna, right? Um, Markstrom, there's guys that just, have crazy seasons after being for the Tage Thompson this year for Buffalo. That's absolutely a category that should be and could be rewarded. I agree. Nothing, nothing no doubt. Um, but no ov- overall for, for myself, no crazy omissions, no, no crazy um, debate points on the awards. I don't, it's, it's so lame to just sit here and debate like, Oh, like he should have gotten more second place votes or third place. votes. it's like, yeah, let, leave that to the, the sports writers to do in the athletic or whatever. Exactly. Before we sign off, NRD, have you seen Wayne Gretzky's new boat? I have not. I just tweeted it from Cold Stove. A beautiful 34-foot, just absolute masterpiece of mahogany. Runs in the eight hundred dollars to $900,000 range, and he's whipping it around uh, Coeur d'Alene in Idaho. Pull up the Cold Stove account right now. Pull up the Cold Stone. Uh, Cold Stone. It <laughs> shows where my head is at. Cold Stove account. I'm telling you, that's a, that's a natural sponsorship. We got to get I, I, we got to get working on that. <laughs> it is my job. I was just going to say, have the biz dev at Watch Media go take care of that. There you go, uh, NRD. Before we bounce, anything else on your plate? Um, nothing really else on my plate. The boat's fantastic, by the way. I just looked at a picture; it's beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. Um, excited. Obviously, this cup gets lifted tonight. Some people go into hiatus. It's the off season for many, but it's the beginning of our season, and we're uh. We're going to start it up again, whether it's live shows, whether more from the Cold Stove Instagram, more from the Cold Stove Twitter. You might see your boy on Instagram a little bit more often with an NRD Instagram in coordination with our Cold Stove account. So fun times are ahead. It's it's while while some people go back to the cottages, it's our time to pick it up, Brett. No doubt about it. Um, NRD, that's going to do it for us on Cold Stove. We are at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter and Instagram. I am Brett Merriman at Schmerriman on both of those platforms. That's NRD NHL Rumors Daily on Twitter. He's not going anywhere. He's not going anywhere. Come on. See you guys next week. Peace.
Congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche preemptively. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you guys.